Well, it hasn't happened yet. I'm Brian. I'm CJ. Hey, this is Isaac. Yeah. Forgot to hit record uh, when we were making fun of how I went, went to the buffet for dinner last night and then woke up at 4.30 after going to bed. Because <laughs> I'm old, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you are. <laughs> yeah, we'll I see. was more laughing at how you hit record and then immediately started coughing into the mic. I know. So that our producers love you. They can cut that. It's fine. Uh, shout out to Crate. Uh, yeah, I. whatever. I'm not going to... I'm not going to worry about it. Let's get to the topic of the day because it's not that. <laughs> topic of the day is Brian stayed up till 3.30 watching anime and I've never felt more empowered. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I, I've, I've enjoyed it so far. And uh, the, the best part of this was when, I, when you told me about it, you're like, you should tell your, tell your kids. And I told Nora, she's like, yeah, duh. It's like, I've only been watching that for like five years or whatever it was. I was like, okay, cool. Never mind. So anyway, uh, yeah, Hunter x Hunter. It's... Uh, Good stuff. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm trying not to get too deep into the to the anime uh, spiral because I just you know I'll end up with a tattoo or something after it. The anime spiral has totally consumed me because Netflix and HBO Max have both like I just have a shit ton of good anime on, yep. <laughs> on their platforms now. So yeah, it's uh, destroying my life. Also, <laughs> um, Pokemon just put out this like alternative anime thing on their YouTube channel called Poketunes, and it's incredibly good. I found it last night. It's like really different from the show, and it's also really good. Anyway, the best thing, the thing to look forward to in Hunter x Hunter is the fifth season. It has sixty-one episodes. It's like <laughs> the most insanely long narrative arc ever, but it's incredible. So, uh, yeah, everybody watch Hunter x Hunter. But, we should actually start the pod now that we've done talking about anime. <laughs> yes. We're going to start it with some difficult news. CJ, kick us off. Oh, okay. I don't know that it warrants an enormous announcement, but I'm no longer going to be a co-host of the pod. I will just be an occasional guest whenever you need like breaking Texas coverage. <laughs> yes. But, and then you, you all as, as co-hosts are going to take a hiatus, as I understand it. Do you want to jump into that? Yeah, we, uh, we're we going to do one more episode after this one with Keegan Osinski about her book, Queering Wesley, Queering Church. And then we are going to press pause on the podcast while we mourn the loss of our comrade. And also, Brian and I will have to decide if we like each other enough to <laughs> keep doing this without CJ. And then just sort of like, what a you know everything else that's going on having a baby that's part of it but yeah so th- we just wanted to let folks know that we've got these two episodes and then we are going to take a break for a while a uh, couple months and then we'll come back with new formats new ideas uh, or we'll drift into the ether who knows <laughs> better stronger posting <laughs> yeah, posting harder like hotter takes. You gotta, yeah, you've gotta let the field they follow for a little bit so it takes up time to germinate. Yeah, I mean, if you want to go in real deep into like the pod farm, uh, you know, you just have to you have to like let the nutrients build back up in the soil. You can't do this all the time, or else you end up uh, stripping the new, the soil. So there, there's a good metaphor for you. Uh, <laughs> so you gotta have a little bit, a little bit of a break. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a bummer. Uh, at the same time, Isaac's having a baby. I'm I'm putting a book out you know, comparable. So I think it is, it's just one of those things of it's nice to have, it's nice to be able to do something and be able to pause it and then hopefully come back 
uh, to it a little bit stronger, uh, a little bit more focused, maybe with actual outlines uh, <laughs> for guests and stuff. You know, you never know what'll happen in those in those couple of months. You might come back totally uh, organized. Well, we have a new baby in this house. Yeah, yeah. Come back with more uh, spit up stains on my clothes. <laughs> but we did want to take some time to reflect on things from the last year that have stood out about stuff we've talked about, things we've tried to stress, like guests we've had on, takeaways, because we have been doing this for basically a year. Yeah. So what stands out to y'all as we look back on this year of not getting canceled? Well, oh, well damn, I, 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 had did. A, I did get canceled. Oh, and I, I shit, I forgot. I had the perfect entry to this. I stayed up. I did not get enough sleep. I was going to be like, well, it's happened. And then we could have done the damn thing with oh, it's happened and we canceled ourselves. Damn it, Brian. All right. Anyway, sorry. Go. CJ got canceled. Yeah. Damn it. I, I did get canceled, <laughs> although that's not why I am stepping back from the pod. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So don't think it is, Rod, if you're listening. <laughs> Rod, yeah, friend of the pod. You know, I think it's like, for me, part of it is, I don't know, it, to me, I, I don't know how to do this out being like, uh, like uh, what do you call it? Like sentimental. But I think like being able to think about and address, you know, like stuff that is very specific to the church, but also kind of broader culture. I, and I don't know, like in, in looking at it from, you know, a leftists, I guess, lens, which I don't always have the the purest uh, form of that. So it's been nice to be able to kind of get checked in real time on some of my, uh, on some of my, you know, politics and or uh, theology. And so that, I don't know, to me, like, that's something that I've, I've actually, I've appreciated about doing this was being able to, you know, have that moment, have that time where I don't think you get that a lot, right? In church or other places, most people are just like, oh, okay. And then they talk about it later. But to me, it's, I don't know, having that ability to be able to kind of basically force ourselves to have conversations and to get all worked up about things important and not. Uh, I don't know. There's something valuable about, about that. So maybe I'm just being wistful here. Uh, I don't know. I know that's not what you were going for, Isaac. But. No, it's fine. I'm glad that you're <laughs> grateful for all of the times you got owned on the pod. <laughs> yeah. I think they call that Stockholm Syndrome, right? You know what that is? <laughs> no, I but, but, like, right, like, I think that there's like... I don't know. I we've talked about this a ton of times already. I feel like, but it's just like the idea of being able to have your opinion changed or have your mind changed or be able to hear that you're wrong or, uh, and take it gracefully. <laughs> you all didn't have to do that as much as I did, I guess. But <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a good ex- it's a good exercise for the arrogant uh, people among us, such as myself, sometimes. Well, I think that I did have to maybe not take that. I, I don't think I said anything um, egregious on the pod, but I think that we did have a wide range of guests that um, most of our guests challenged like my assumptions or taught me something new, which I then had to like go sit with and, you know, think through. So that was, I mean, I also got owned just in my heart. (laughs) Not not on the pod. Episode title. Owned in my heart. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) That's so Protestant of you, CJ. Just like, I got owned privately in my feels. (laughs) That's... Yeah, theologically, I think that's how that's how we should approach it. <laughs> oh god! Oh god! I'm not like trying to come up with some uh, CCM for that on the spot. I will say that you know, for me, it's been exciting to just be able to feature so many queer folks who are in the Christian space doing cool things on the pod, and 
especially as United Methodist with things being so stupid and the denomination around that, it's been great to be able to give a platform for folks on that and, and also just to have a shared space where we acknowledge that the future of the church doesn't exist without queer folks because our denomination is so dead set on denying it. And I think I would also, you know, I would say that in a similar vein, getting to share the perspectives of abolitionists who are Mm. making entries into the Christian space around defunding the police or uh, smashing the prison industrial complex. And just also talking about what that means for our theology from atonement with Hana to many other things about enemies and kinship with Melissa. Like it's just, it's been a joy to be able to do some of that constructive work, which I think was always a goal of the pod. Yeah. And it's, you know, you look back at some of the, at some of the guests we had, we had some pretty good guests, which leads me to believe that the reason, uh, you know, why this hasn't taken off and been our, our sole way of making money and kind of being well-known is because of the listeners. So that's where I always just put the blame there. Um, I mean, I think. Well, that took a hard turn. <laughs> I know, I'm kidding. No, I, you know, I, uh, yeah, the listener. Just, you know what? I think Brian was just trying to echo what President Biden said about <laughs> Afghanistan. The yes. reason why we're not famous yes. is because you don't love us enough, just like the reason why the oh. Taliban took over Afghanistan as a week is because they didn't fight hard enough to prevent it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's a yeah, I'm already I'm already regressing into my moderate uh, lib or like lib dem uh kind of uh, space. So, uh look for you know a couple weeks from now uh with my Kamala shirt or whatever. No, Warren, it'll be a Warren shirt that's what it'll be. So, yeah. No, Brian, you have a duty as, as like as a Minnesotan to support Oh, Klobuchar? Clovachar, yeah. Clovamentum. Clovachar. <laughs> Clovamentum, yeah. the thing that is just never going to work. My, uh, my, one of my brother in law was a huge, he like actually went out on the road and, and worked on the, uh, on the, uh, Clovachar, um, uh, campaign. Uh, so Did she like throw binders at people? I don't know. Yeah. Hairbrushes. Hairbrushes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. But yeah. No, in, in all seriousness, I, I think the same thing. Like, you know, I'm still, I'm still challenged and slightly, uh, slightly conflicted about some of the, uh, you know, some of the things from especially Hannah and, and Melissa, especially because it is, I think it is when you, when you encounter people that have such strong and nuanced at the same time, theological views about abolition and how abolition works in the church and how it should work in your theology and your everyday life. You know, that, that that's kind of stuff that disrupts the, you know, head games that you can play theologically. So I, I think back on those episodes a lot, uh, especially the, the one with, with uh, where I can't remember if it was the first time or the second time Melissa was with us and she was talking about the part in Corinthians uh, where, where it's about like, well, maybe you, maybe you get damned to hell for, for taking communion with people that shouldn't be taking or something like that. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm going to live with that. Maybe that's why I was up so late last night. It just seeped into my soul. That's what, that was what's in my heart. But yeah, but stuff like that, it's challenging to kind of hear that and to be like, it's easy just never to kind of, I guess, uh, broach that topic at all. But those are those things, they, they haunt me. Uh, <laughs> they're in my head along with you, Isaac. So, Well, I think the other, I mean, one of the things I hope has happened as well is just like, <sighs> I think one of the things that those conversations has illuminated for me at least and, and helped me articulate in a new way is that too often, I think, progressive Christians assume that being the body of Christ and in ways that 
are congruent with the positions of abolition and is that it's not easy, right? I, I think that too much, too often we get down on the church because we think that like having an abolitionist practice around grace and forgiveness even or harm and how it's dealt with is like this natural thing. But, you know, the whole point of what scripture is telling us is that it's, it's like basically the least natural thing. <laughs> and so one of the things to me would just be like, to reiterate again, just we can probably expect that we won't find those things in church because we don't find them in this country in, mm. in big doses anywhere. That the places where abolitionist practices are going to be real are going to be small and they're going to be cultivated secretly and carefully by just a few people who are committed to one another and committed to, you know, in the Christian case, to something much bigger than themselves. But I think that, yeah, I just, you know, I've been down on the church a lot on the pod, to say the very least. <laughs> but I think that the reminder is just that, not to, again, be too sentimental about this, but that it's just much smaller. Like the places where the spirit is really working are just much much smaller and harder to find than we want them to be. And uh, we shouldn't be surprised that that's the case because Jesus literally makes metaphors about it all the time. But we still can find ourselves, you know, when we get into a cycle of being hurt by religious communities thinking it shouldn't be this way. And I'm not saying that it should, but the reality is, is that most of the time it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, the irony of, uh, this is like, this, I, I think we're entering almost 15 minutes. We're going to enter into the dangerous territory of, uh, of like one of the last episodes potentially for a little while, plus you not being at a church. I was like, I think we're, we're walking down that path a little bit towards, uh, you, you gotta, you're going to start dropping even hotter takes uh, here in a second. But yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's right. And it's like, and I guess that, I think that's something that I've always maintained a little bit of a, um, I don't want to throw the church out necessarily, even though I, I understand the structural aspect of it and, I, and everything you just said totally tracks. But I think, you know, if you want to talk about again, like, how do you, how do you claim, you know, it's easy to claim an abolitionist, uh, liberationist, um, whatever you, anti-capitalist, whatever it is. Uh, it's easy to claim that stuff, but, you know, it, it, it's, we still kind of live into a little bit of a privilege where we get to be able to say, well, not that, right? Like you see this in the Episcopal church all the time. Like we're not going to question that because that's our tradition or whatever it is. Uh, so that's, I think, another thing with like being able to kind of have conversations with, uh, you know, people that were probably not accessible to me <laughs> outside of this until, until we started doing this. You know, there's a way of being able, I guess, even to be able to say, to interrogate those kind of beliefs about the church and to be able to think about like, how do you how do you factor into a place, I guess, where the church is still a thing that God is using, or maybe not? I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh, yeah, that that's something that's that's been a a, a growth vector uh, for me on the pod as well as being able to kind of be like, all right, you know, I, I put a lot of I put a lot of faith in the institution of the church uh, at times, and perhaps too much times. And how do you know when is it okay? I guess to let that go, uh, or when should you kind of just like shuck it out as much as possible? I don't know. Yeah, I think we had a good balance um, between <laughs> Brian, who likes the Pope. I'm okay, calm, calm down, calm down. <laughs> this is going to come to me like in the Queen here in a second. I was, uh, I was just about <laughs> to say that. I, I think you mean the Queen. Yeah, so it's funny enough, I did. A, I had to do a presentation for a class. And uh, the first line was like, the first thing you didn't know about Episcopalians is they really love the Queen. <laughs> so, so thanks, Isaac. People, nobody laughed. Nobody thought it was funny, but I, I chuckled to myself. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, no. We're not laughing. We're just crying internally. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think that 
I, I don't know. I guess that's my eternal optimism, perhaps, is that church can be used in some way, hopefully, um, that it's not too far gone. Uh, that, that does make me remind me, too, that one of the things I think we uncovered is for all of the hot takes and all of the kind of maybe divergent opinions that we have about things, uh, all three of us uh, kind of outed ourselves as a little bit of being uh, fairly normie, or at least when it comes to stuff like the resurrection, uh, I think, CJ, you called it resurrection truther. Uh, that we all we all became, we all admitted ourselves to be a little bit of a resurrection truther, and all of us had a little bit of a kind of a, a shunning of things like process theology. So uh, maybe maybe that's maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe we need to get some uh, some uh, process people on on the pod and get them. <laughs> Isaac shaking his head. Uh, but yeah, to get them on and really radical this thing up. That will never happen. I will never talk to a process theologian. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to start while you're busy with the baby. I'm just going to start uh, like recording podcasts with with all the, these new process people that I know. And just we just turned it into the process party. Uh. <laughs> the only person associated with the process I will ever speak to on this podcast is Joel Embiid. CJ, what, what's on your mind? <laughs> I I don't think I have a lot to add to that. Um, except that Godspeed, uh, if you do have a process theologian, Godspeed to that person because I feel like Isaac, you're going to come in like with a baseball bat. <laughs> um, but we we also had two questions, uh, right? Just for the mailbag, we only had two. Yeah, I I do want to say one more thing though about because now I'm triggered. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. The reason why I don't give a fuck or even don't want to like. <laughs> entertain process theology bullshit is this is that it's not i don't see it motivated as like i'm thinking about the clearest way to express my my hatred but to me i think that part of the reason why we have remained things like resurrection truthers is because efforts to entirely shift the sort of doctrinal paradigm are just ways to deflect the material issues at stake in a lot of these questions. Mm. You know, to me, like thinking that somehow um, social justice is going to be served by positing that God is not omniscient or that like God is somehow just a being amongst other beings as process theology does is like somehow that's going to make the change. I don't see it as any different than the shit we talked about with the liturgists where... (laughs) It's just, you know, it's all been done before. So I guess I would just beg progressive theologians, progressive Christians to read the theology of the 19th century, which does all the liberal bullshit about making Jesus not divine and Mm -hmm. just a political figure. And then ask yourself, who are the people that this is important to? And the answer is white European men. And now if you want to repeat it again, like... What is the point of doing it? So I guess my, you know, just get back to the ground, think about the communities where those concerns are real, and then ask yourself who's missing from the conversation. <laughs> and then as I've said over and over again, you know, there's a great book by Wendy Brown where she says that, you know, progressives and the left uh, want to get rid of eschatology because they've given up on the future. Yep. And uh, I think that, you know, as I've said many times, if you just want to make Jesus a political figure, great. But like, when does your militia start training? When are you ready to like, you know, accept the, the massive amount of violence it would take to try to overthrow the American empire? And like, I think that if, um, I don't know. And, and one of the 
episodes that I'll call back to you right now that's been really helpful for me on this question is the one with Ramona about mm-hmm. um, about witchcraft. Like, I think it's just such a great reminder that people our age are like so are spiritually starving for a message about you know the power of something bigger than themselves to intervene in the shittiness of this world. So why the fuck would we want to be actively taking that message away from the gospel? I just, it doesn't make sense to me. And I, yeah, there well, it is. There's my last feel on it. And, and I'll, I'll add my little bit too, but I, cause I, cause I, I agree. And, and the other part of it would be with process that I always, it's, it's, it's a pretty small picture of God. And it's, it's not only a pretty small picture of God, but it's also a picture of God that comes with, and we've talked about this many times with, theological assumptions that get ported in from a lot of other more conservative, like evangelical, a lot of times places this idea, well, if I, if, if all this stuff doesn't stack up in this foundational way, well, then it must not be true. So we're going to have to do this. And so there's, there's a little bit of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater kind of mentality with it. And I know there are people who will argue against this. I do, I do love the one part of process thought that I do like is the idea of God presenting with like, okay, like Monica Coleman says, you know, making a way out of no way. Like there's a way, like no matter what the situation is, God is active in that situation. But you can get there with like Moltmann and in the same way, like you don't have to necessarily, it doesn't have to be processed. So yeah, I, I'm in, on board with all of it. We don't need to, we don't need to blame at this point uh, too much more. Uh, this might be how we get canceled by the process party. But anyway, but I, yeah, I, I think, I think you're right. And it's and- one of the, can't get canceled by something that you don't even acknowledge. So. <laughs> I had to put him in my book. I, I had to put process theology in my in my book about theodicy. So we'll see how it goes. Um, well, speaking of not acknowledging it, I actually, I'm not entirely sure what process theology is. I don't want anyone to explain it to me, but I, it is one of the few phrases I've actually muted on Twitter because <laughs> I got so annoyed with the discourse about it that I was like, no more. <laughs> So this, I just want you to know, this last like ten minutes was my nightmare. <laughs> well, I mean, that, well, uh, good luck with seminary yeah. starting in a week. But that is, but that's that's kind of it. The right there though is that there's when when somebody a lot of times I think when people get to this idea that process is the only way to think theologically, they actually can't hear anything else, um, and so they just become just as more closed off than they actually think they are. So anyway, mailbag. <laughs> we have two two questions that we want to talk about because they perfectly struck the tone of this pod. Um, and they come from friend of the pod, Kevin. The first one is, and I'm really excited to hear y'all's answer to this. Are coffee shops Christian culture? <laughs> if not, are they being settler colonized by Christians? Are coffee shops Christian? Uh, okay. I've been thinking about this <laughs> since you sent us the questions. I have been thinking about this. And I, I do think that the answer is no. I don't think that it's kind of like the square rectangle situation. Like not all coffee shops are intrinsically Christian, but like there, we all know what a Christian coffee shop looks like. And I, and I used to live until very recently in a town where every single coffee shop was a Christian coffee shop, except for like the local Starbucks, which I'm assuming you've probably, probably also host a Bible study or two, but it's a Starbucks. But the reason that I don't think that coffee shops are Christian culture is because coffee shop culture, like, right, like it, it started with Starbucks in Seattle. And like, I think like the kind of the coffee boom started in the Pacific Northwest, which is like famously extremely unchurched and like spread to the rest of the country. And so I think like pretty fundamentally, 
coffee shops were not Christian, but then Christians got in on it, which brings up an interesting point about whether this is colonialism. Mm-hmm. Any coffee shop where you're not allowed to smoke is Christian. That's my take. <laughs> well, I've, I, I've never been inside an establishment where you're just allowed to smoke inside unless it was a bar. Well, I think most of the like the roots of like sitting down somewhere and drinking coffee, I think have roots in Arabia and Muslim culture with like smoking hookah while you do it. So, oh yeah, I um, guess that's true. When I was in Eastern Europe, everyone smoked like chimneys, but that was just everywhere. So I didn't notice it at coffee shops. Christians just like stole the coffee and got rid of the of smoking of good tobacco. But this There's, is, I mean, to me, the the more cynical side of this is, well. When I had a day job outside of the church, there's a coffee shop attached to it. And I went in there and it was immediately like, oh, this is a Christian place. You could just, I, I just had the vibe uh, and there's little subtle things all over, whatever. And I, I spent the next two months convincing my uh, coworkers that it actually was. And turns out it is. Um, but anyway, whatever. But it's like, this is what they do, right? Like, this is what a lot of Christian, like, especially evangelical Christian culture does. They try to, they're not creating culture. They're co-opting culture a lot of times in order to kind of almost like, I always think of like to trick people into like, look how cool we are. We have these t-shirts. This isn't a Reebok t-shirt. This doesn't say play hard. It says pray hard. And so to me, it's like, that's the same. It's just like the next evolution of that, right? Like it's the evolution of those kind of things of like, you're going to, you know, we can do all this. It's CCM, whatever it is. We can do this in a Christian way that's going to be good. And we're going to, you know, show people how hip we are or trick them into it or something. I mean, that's, that's where I see the roots of it. I think you can see it in like mega churches where we're like, we welcome everybody, that kind of message. Uh, Just don't look too deeply. I mean, I think the coffee aspect of it too as a person who doesn't drink coffee, but the coffee aspect of it too, of like being able to be like, this is how we can be cultured, even though we want to be you know, like a part of the culture war, right? Like this is a safe way to be cultured is to drink good coffee or a uh, micro whatever brew. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Anything. I don't drink beer. I see it. I think I see a little bit less of an insidious in t- attempt in parts of it. I was like a little too young for this, but weren't, weren't like coffee shop churches, like a big part of the emergent church movement which was like slightly more progressive. And then, you know, it's also just a revenue stream. I mean, like, it's hard to keep a church open. Sure. I mean, but like my friend, like Mike Bachman, my friend uh, is a Methodist uh, clergy person in Texas. And he started Union, which was a coffee shop. And it was a church. I'm I'm aware of that, yeah. Yeah, super progressive. Um, I I don't know. My experiences with it in especially like in the American South, like the Southeast, when I lived there was, and this was during the emergent church was, is that it, that's what it, that's not what it, it never felt that way. It never felt, maybe it was just a, a revenue stream, but uh, it always felt more insidious than that to me. Uh, so, I mean, because it's think, like, oh, go ahead. I think my final point on it is coffee shops don't necessarily have to be Christian, but there's not a single coffee shop where a Christian won't try to evangelize you in that. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. But you can never trust an invitation to coffee from, from yeah. a Christian. Oh, so it's like a go. corollary point. There you go. Yes. Never go get coffee with a Christian because they'll, they're inviting you because they want to tell you they're homophobic. <laughs> yes. Oh God. Okay. Second question. What is the most cringe Christ figure moment in a movie? And what's the least cringe one? Um, I've never seen a movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's just like the person who wrote this question. Um, I think the most cringe Christ figure moment in a movie, there are a couple that sprang to mind immediately. 
The first was actually the Matrix when they try to make Neo a Christ figure in the yes. in the last Matrix. That one it's terrible. It's really really cringe. But I think the worst one is from this movie called Lone Survivor, which is uh, <laughs> about this like group of Navy SEALs in yeah. Afghanistan. Doesn't that have a Hemsworth in it? No, no, oh, it probably okay. should. It has Mark Wahlberg in it. Mm, okay. It's based on this supposedly true story. I, I don't believe it, but there's a, it has Tim Riggins in it from Friday Night Lights. And it's directed by the guy who uh, helped co-create Friday Night Lights, Peter Berg. Tim Riggins has a death moment in it where he's like standing on the top of this cliff in Afghanistan with like the sun rising behind him as he's shot like six times by these Islamic fighters. And it's just the most over-the-top patriot, patriotic Christ figure moment I think I've ever seen in a movie. So that, that one takes the cake, but also I think the one in The Matrix is a little less damaging, but just hilarious. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Wait, speaking of like cringe Christ figures, I was driving through East Tennessee the other, um, a few weeks ago, which is what made me think of this, Isaac, but I stopped at a gas station and there was a sign inside that had a cross, one of like stylized crosses with like a stole on it next to a, like a machine gun stuck in the ground with a helmet on it. It said the troops and Jesus like both died for you. <laughs> And uh, my jaw like dropped. It's the most heretical <laughs> thing I've seen in a long time. Funny. Yeah, there's a, uh, if you go south on I-75 towards Atlanta, there's a billboard that says, all tongues will confess Jesus is Savior. And then underneath it, it says, even the Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the most cr- uh, cringe Christ figures are just billboards in the south. But yeah. Ohio also has a bunch of them too. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's where the hell is real sign is. I really like that one. I would also include the Neo uh, one. Uh, I don't know if this is a good one or not, but like, and this is like a super like old movie, I guess. But like Cool Hand Luke, you ever seen Cool Hand Luke? Like Luke literally dies yeah. on the table after being uh, betrayed, uh, arms spread. I've, I've read things that Anakin in the Star Wars and Phantom Menace is, is, a, is a Christ figure uh, and renounces the good to side with Jesus or side with Satan. The one that's, it's not a movie, but the one, the most cringe one that I think I've ever seen is uh, I fell into the habit of watching Sons of Anarchy when it was on. I don't, you can feel free to dunk on me about that. But anyway. Uh, Never watched it. Yeah, it was fine. The first, okay. Uh, it was fine. The first couple of episodes, the first couple of seasons, but then I just couldn't get myself off of it. But anyway, it ends, uh, spoiler, turn this off if you don't want to, if you care, but it ends with the main character riding his motorcycle towards a semi truck, and he has his arms spread out, like out, like a, uh, like you know, like 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 Jesus on the cross, and he closes his eyes, and he runs into the truck and kills himself. And then the final shot is like basically a piece, a crow eating a piece of bread, and blood uh, from him being killed on the like slowly coming into the frame across the bread. And I was like, no, this ain't it. Uh, so that that's probably my most cringe one. <laughs> it's just so so over the top and bad. Yeah. Anyway, the only other one I would throw out is uh is uh, my favorite Christ appearance in any movie is uh, Buddy Christ in Dogma. So there you go. Shout out to a cringe Christ figure in movies, Aslan. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I was going to bring that up. Yeah, I, see, this is one where this is where I uh, see this is one where I don't want to like it, but I kind of do. 
<laughs> like I kind of like Aslan voiced by Liam Neeson and I don't know. I'm 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 basic, I guess, but I damn, I don't know. Yeah. That movie came out when I was a kid and I, I really liked the talking lion. So I don't know. <laughs> it's fine, I guess. I haven't seen so I don't like watch good movies. So I don't really have a good answer for this because I watch a lot of rom-coms when I watch a movie. But if we're bringing TV into it, I do think the most cringe is the season five finale of Supernatural. I knew it. I knew it was coming. <laughs> Where, wherein one of the Winchester brothers is a Christ figure. Don't worry. It doesn't matter later on in the season. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter later on in the show, like, at all. But yeah, pretty cringe. When I was thinking about this movie, that, or when I was thinking about this question, all I could think about was Billy Budd, the, the Melville book. I was oh. like, pretty cringe to be a Christ figure on the open seas, bro. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Sorry, I have another one. Uh, oh, go for it. Because this one is not only cringe; it's also extremely racist. Where <laughs> in the Green Mile, John Coffee, he's just like he's not only like the literal embodiment of the magical negro of the magical Negro trope, but he's also this like Christ figure, but it, who takes away sin and 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 pain and evil and sickness. Yeah, God. Yeah, he takes away Tom Hanks' UTI. Um, that one is easily the worst. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. I was thinking more about the cancer part, but yeah, he does take away a urinary tract infection. Perfect. Yeah, he grabs Tom Hanks by the nuts and like <laughs> takes away his UTI oh, so that he can have sex with his wife. Huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then later... Thank you for your service, sir. Yeah. <laughs> There's literally a line that in the next scene, the following morning, where he says, "Was the missus satisfied?" And Tom Hanks says several times. Oh God! Oh, it's uh, very, very cringe. So, um, oh, is is was Batman in um, the Dark Knight a Christ figure? Oh wow, maybe he didn't die, but he kind of he met. I mean, the Batman metaphorically died. Wow, loving it. <laughs> Um, I just, I have not seen any movies with Christ figures. And also I simply can't process the moving image in any way that matters. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm struggling with this question. Here's, here's one. I just looked this up uh, and here's one that surprised me. E.T. <laughs> E.T. is a Christ figure because E.T. can heal people, perform miracles. Uh, we don't know if he can walk on water, but if he can make objects fly in the air, Christ on a bike. That's what it says. We think it's a pretty safe bet and most obviously croaks before being miraculously restored to life. <laughs> and do we mention the glowing hearts like on all of those Catholic gift shop tapest- tapestries? So anyway, <laughs> I'm here for that take. I'm going to I'm gonna have to I, effort that one a little bit more uh, off, off, uh, off mic. <laughs> I hate E.T. I've never liked that movie. Mainly because it just creeped me the fuck out when I was a kid. I will say that going back to the scene, like never laughed harder about Aslan or Narnia or any of that, then this thing, this like comic I saw online that was comparing the Lord of the Rings and like Chris Corey and that to two other Chronicles of Narnia and <laughs> C.S. Lewis writing the book and above him, he's saying, I will literally set myself on fire if people don't know this lion is Jesus. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, God. Okay. Do y'all have any good ones? Good Christ figures? Uh, it's hard. It's, it's hard to do a Christ figure well in a in a popular movie. I feel like without being heavy handed. Yeah, I'm trying to think of ones that might be like in literature too. Um, Technically, Harry Potter is a Christ figure, which didn't bother me until J.K. Rowling became hugely transphobic, and I was like, "Well, there, there's another one." 
Yeah, my problem is that most folks, when they're calling, like, I think that there's like a pretty common misuse of like the Moses figure in movies and people calling them Christ figures. Like, like Zack Snyder did this in Man of Steel, where he clearly sees Superman as this like Christ-like figure, when really he's <laughs> based on the story of Moses, written by you know Jewish creators. He comes from a different planet where he has to like flee in a basket. Anyway, I think that's a pretty common problem with the trope. What about like, I, have you guys seen the Iron Giant? Yeah, I thought of the Iron Giant. The Iron that's Giant might be, might be a good one. I'm trying to remember. Because doesn't the robot like rebuild itself at the end? Um, yeah. So that might be yeah. one. That might be one I would point to. Um, hmm. Yeah. It's hard. Like you said, CJ, it's, it's hard to do, right? Uh, it, because it, it, it quickly falls. I mean, especially from a storytelling perspective, it's really hard to do it without like making it a trope, right? Like, how do you bring somebody back to life without somebody not seeing it? Or how do you have somebody like ultimately sacrifice? I guess I was trying to think of like war movies too, which it's hard to separate those from kind of like what you described about Lone Survivor, Isaac. Like, but I, I don't know if there's any, like, I just, yeah, no, probably not. They're <laughs> probably all too baked in with the kind of like the military nationalism. This is, I have, I've never seen this movie, so I have no idea if it's, there's a Christ figure involved, but my brother was watching Saving, Saving Private Ryan for mm-hmm. the first time the other day, and he, he like texted me and was like, I understand the Iraq war now. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. You know what? I think the other one, like, this certainly not a Christ figure and by any means because of who is making it, but I don't know. I mean, I guess you could make some arguments about some Miyazaki movies. Yeah. Like Nausicaa, but also I think, you know, if I wanted to give my take on like the best resurrection motif in a film, it's probably Princess Mononoke, like the close of that movie, even though I know some people are like down on that movie now because they think the main character is like a huge both sides centrist or something. But Princess Mononoke, I think, is the best movie on resurrection, in my opinion. <laughs> Just his movies in general. Somebody, I'm, I'm looking up some of these, and a lot of people really love the Green Mile for this uh, to answer this question. But <laughs> the one that really made just made me laugh was Bing Bong from Inside Out. It's yeah, this like, <laughs> like I don't know, guys. Uh, <laughs> but the, I, the other one, another one, this in this little, this thread that I'm reading on Reddit, one of them is like I think that lion and <laughs> the lion and and had something to do with it. So so that so maybe the C.S. Lewis uh, intent was not uh, completely wrong that some people would not be able to get that that it wasn't it was not quite obvious to them. <laughs> so, oh yeah. lord! All right, y'all. I think uh, Christ figure takes have been revealed. Yeah, sorry, I could not add more to that discussion. It's okay. Do we want to enter the fight corner? I mean, what <laughs> <laughs> so need to be said? This is it? It's the most obvious fight corner we've ever done. It's not even a fight corner so much as just like <laughs> it's like a celebration corner, a a, a, a mutual celebration. <laughs> like Greg Abbott, like co- what COVID has welcomed you to the fight corner. <laughs> oh, there we go. God, oh, man. I have no idea what his condition will be like by the time this comes out. Um, apparently, he was getting that like treatment that um, Donald Trump got when he like almost died of COVID. But Greg Abbott is like triple vaxxed, so uh, one assumes it's preventative. Uh, so who knows? You know, I saw a lot of people who didn't live in Texas. <laughs> 
posting stuff about like, I hope this like, you know, like, I I hope he doesn't die. Like, I hope he recovers, but that, you know, like this changes his mind because like every child in Texas deserves healthcare. And I, you know, every child in Texas, every person in Texas deserves the, the same level of healthcare that he has received. But I do not get, you know what, there are things I can't put on, I don't want to put on the record about (laughs) Greg Abbott right now, but his heart is not going to change. This experience is not going to. He's vaccinated. Like you said already, he's vaccinated and he's still peddling that bullshit. Anyway, go ahead. Like this is, this experience with COVID is not going to change his heart or his mind or his politics in any way, except to make him worse and double down. And so I hope that he feels a lot of pain. And I, you know, I just like, I hope this is a terrible experience for him. I have frozen in my house because of Greg Abbott. I have lost friends because of Greg Abbott. Like I have been unable to see my community for over a year because of Greg Abbott pretty specifically being unwilling to do literally anything to mitigate this pandemic. And I am, I'm fucking done with it. I don't, Jesus is working on me on the path to sanctification, but he has not worked on me in this particular way yet. I have no mercy. I have no pity. I'm so glad that Greg Abbott has COVID. Welcome to the fight quarter. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, the reality about our stupid world is that he has the best healthcare in the country and he's probably not going to have a bad time at all. So yeah, couldn't agree more. Centrist, stop thinking that like Greg Abbott's going to become a Christ figure in the COVID story. <laughs> he's not going to be reborn into a new awareness. I just feel like people like really feel the need to be like, I'm one of the good ones. And that like, even like when people, even when people don't, I don't like get sick, I can like expect, extend condolences to them. And I'm like, these people don't care if you live or die. He he wants you to die. He wants children to die. He is sending back, not, like he's sending back school kids with where you are legally unable to require people to wear masks, not to mention, you know, the hundreds of children in literal concentration camps at the border. Like this man is interested in killing children and we should extend him like no condolences, or no health. Like we should wish him ill. That is what we should do. Yeah, absolute ghoul. 100% vampire. Just like sucking the life out of the people that he's been charged to protect. So unfortunately, unfortunately, if he does die of COVID, which is unlikely, but you know, on the off chance, unfortunately, if he does die, like I'm not, because um, Texas government is not my strong suit nor is it anyone's strong suit because our government is insane. Um, I'm pretty sure someone worse takes over because I think it's the lieutenant governor who like has been indicted for tax fraud. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Dan Patrick, right? He's just as bad. Yeah. yeah, if not worse, because he's actually also like vying for his office. Like Greg Abbott is like a little bit more well-established where Dan Patrick, like George P. Bush, currently the land commissioner, I think, is kind of like thinking about running for oh, God. Dan Patrick's job. So there's a lot I didn't happening even know there. there was another one. You just... <laughs> yeah, there's, it's Jeb's, Jeb's son, George no. P. Bush. Yeah. And if, you know, he has like a weird amount to do with the Alamo. I've listened, I learned a lot about this recently because I read a book about the Alamo, but George P. Bush <laughs> is like weirdly involved with that. 
Anyway, welcome to the fight corner, every Texas politician who has led us to this point, but most especially Greg Abbott. Hope it hurts. Wow. <laughs> I think next week we have to uh, invite J.D. Vance back to the fight corner. <laughs> oh, Lord, yeah. Oh, actually, you know what? We'll just invite every white liberal who celebrated J.D. Vance to the fight corner because he's truly shown who he is. <laughs> Along with all the uh, the Democrats on Twitter saying, uh, like, we don't want the Afghan uh, refugees coming to our... So, yeah, uh, all, all of those guys, too, can, can, can join, join in on this, on their hot takes about Afghanistan and Biden uh, and their refusal to kind of think about him in any negative thing other than, you know, well, at least he's better than Trump. So, well, we'll see. Anyway, there's my there's my little uh, end point for you all. Well, all takes. Brian's ready to fight the entire world <laughs> next year, next week. Next week. But tune back in. Um, Queering Wesley, Queering Church by Keegan Osinski is what we're going to talk about. It's a great book. Looking forward to get into it with y'all. See you then. All right. Later. Later.